very interesting study was done on children between the ages of two and three. And the way they tracked these tests is they had graduate students follow families around. And what they were going to do was record how many positive statements parents made and how many negative statements they made in a day. And so the graduate students had a clicker. And when the parents said something negative, they would click. When they said something positive, they had another clicker and they would click that. And so, for instance, negative statements, any kind of harsh tone, any kind of no or anything that you did this wrong, positive comments, things like I love you, you know, great job. And so the graduate students followed these families and what they found per day, negative statements by the parents to the kids, 432 and positive statements, 32. 432 negative to 32 positive statements. Incredible difference. We all have things that we carry from things that were said or things we learned or beliefs that maybe we took when we were younger. And so when you come into relationships, you have two imperfect people carrying their past into this relationship. So we're going to look at some things today about relationships, specifically marriage. And if you're single, this will apply to you as an individual as well. This applies to relationships in general, but especially looking at marriages today. This is a subject I've always been uh, passionate about. I grew up with uh, divorce in families and divorce with friends. And when I was in churches, I would see broken marriages. When I was in the military, some very big problems with divorce. And I've just, I've watched over the years and I thought there has to be an answer to what makes a relationship really good and what makes one be very toxic. And so I studied relationships before I got married. And so when my wife and I got married, we had already study things to know what principles to use that make for a healthy relationship. Uh, one of the first things I learned was Max Lucado, a great principle for relationships, and he said it really saved his relationship as well, and he called it the 10-minute rule. Simply this, uh, the first 10 minutes when you come back together as a couple then you only have positive things for that 10 minutes. Instead of walking in the house, I, I had a very bad day at work or I'm very upset about something or the first thing on the phone is a negative statement. It's to make sure that first 10 minutes, very positive. It sets the tone for the rest of the time you're together that day. So I've always incorporated that into my relationship. The, the challenges I've seen, a lot of people, they want, and we'll talk about want here in a few minutes, but a lot of people want a better relationship, but they don't want to do the work that is needed to make that relationship. So I want to share some really straightforward and life-changing principles about relationships so that you can have a healthy relationship and live with even more passion in your relationship. But I found a lot of people don't want to do the work. You know, I give people CDs or books, advice, even DVDs, but, uh, you know, a lot of people, they just don't want to put in the effort to learn. But we know a lot about what makes relationships healthy, what makes them unhealthy. We have studies going back for years now, especially the last 25 years. So we understand very well, and we have biblical principles to base relationship health on. A counseling term to keep in mind is introjection, introjection. The definition is things that you took in as a child that, people said and that you repeat to yourself 
And so those could be positive, they could be negative, but people have 60,000 thoughts a day. For many people, most of those thoughts are negative. Part of that is introjection, something they took in as a child and they repeat to themselves over and over. So maybe a parent told them that they're not going to succeed, or maybe they told them, you know, you're not very smart, and they took that in and they repeat that over and over. So we all have introjection, and so we have to come from a basis of saying, well, who am I truly in Christ? Not what somebody said in my past, but who am I now? And recognizing, again, two imperfect people with all of these difficult thoughts, beliefs they might have, introjection from their past, coming together for a relationship and wanting that marriage to be a place of certain love, but the challenge is relationships cannot have certain love. If you want certainty, a relationship's not where that's going to happen. What brings passion in a relationship is the differences, is the variety. But let's look at some things in scripture here about marriage. Now, Ephesians 5, 25, everybody probably knows this verse by heart, but it's husbands love your wives. Well, it's what Paul says after this. We're going to look at here in just a few minutes. But you have to keep in mind when Paul said husbands love your wives, and he goes on to say as Christ loved the church and died for her, Paul lived in a culture where families were expendable, even considered property. In the first century, it was acceptable if you did not like your kids, you could leave them at the side of the road, abandon them completely. If you didn't like your wife, just get married and maybe even get married a few more times and have several wives. So when Paul comes along and says, love your wife like Christ loved the church, it's a whole different paradigm. It's not new to scripture. You go back to Adam and Eve, they were meant to love each other that same way. And you see some really great marriages in scripture. You see some brokenness because of sin. So when Paul says, love your wives like Christ loved the church, in his culture, that first century, where families were expendable, it was a very, very revolutionary thing for him to say. And not just love them, he says, but love them the way that Christ loved the church. So let's keep in mind what Paul said, and we'll come back to his words in just a moment. But Genesis 29, 31 to 35 is a powerful story. It's a heartbreaking story, but it's also a story of tremendous hope. And I've talked many times, names in scripture have deep meaning. Easy thing about Genesis 29 is we are told what the names mean. So you don't need a Bible dictionary to look up the terms. We're told right here in the verses what the names mean. And what's happening here is Jacob has married Leah, and he did not want to marry her. He married her against his will. He does not love her. She knows it. She loves him. She wants this marriage to work. He does not. And so she begins to have children, and she names her children after her deepest heart's cry. And what you'll see is these names are everybody's heart's cry. So let's see what Leah and Jacob have. Genesis 29 it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved by Jacob, he enabled her to conceive. Leah became pregnant, gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Reuben means the Lord has seen. And then she says, surely my husband will love me now. She has her first son, Reuben. 
His name means the Lord has seen, and her belief is my husband will surely love me now. Well, she's wrong. It doesn't turn out like that for her. But a lot of people have this idea. If I go to a place of certain love, that'll be enough. And so she's going to have children. Some people go to their jobs. Some people go to their their hobbies. Other people get into an affair. They think if I have certain love, that's going to be fulfilling. That's not what she needs. What she needs now is her husband to love her like she loves him, but it doesn't happen at this point. But there is hope at the end of their story, but you'll see the strength that she has. So that first name, Reuben, the Lord has seen. First thing couples need to understand is everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be seen. What does this mean from the wife versus the husband standpoint? Well, the one thing that a wife wants is her husband's affirmation. How often is that? Affirmation and affection? Well, it's all the time. Whether it's good times, bad times, when it's easy, when it's hard. She wants her husband to see that her need is for affection. Feminine energy is about an emotional connection. Masculine energy is about being goal-driven. What does a man want? Some versions of scripture use the word respect. Whatever words you have for that same type of belief, what men want is to be acknowledged for their goal. So men reach goals and women have more of the emotional connection. You know, if you look at sales of romance novels, well, 85% are sold to women. They connect at an emotional level. That's what they want their husband to see and to be present in those moments when they're experiencing that emotional connection, to be present. What does a man want? He accomplishes goals, and he wants her to then acknowledge when he's accomplished that goal. Well, why? Just like going back to the very beginning, introjection, everybody wants to believe and know they are worthy of love. We all have a fear, though. We are not enough. We won't be loved. We're not worthy. So for a man... His goal is accomplishing something so he feels like he's worthy of love. For a woman, she wants her man to be present. She wants affection, attention, and again, all the time. And that's the picture. And so Leah wanted that. Do you see me? The Lord sees me. Do you see me? Unfortunately, again, her husband did not. Anthony Robbins, great quote. If you were to give as little attention back then as you give her today, you'd never have gotten a second date. Something to keep in mind. She wants to be seen. He wants to be seen. They want to be the focus of your life. Next verse, we're told Leah conceived again, gave birth to a son. She said, because the Lord heard, I am not loved. He gave me a son. She named him Simeon. First son to be seen. Second son, Simeon, is the Lord heard. We could say to be understood. Everybody wants to be understood at the deepest level. What that means is knowing what your partner needs and meeting their needs as they need them. As we've talked before, human needs psychology, everybody has six needs, love, Significance, certainty, variety, contribution, growth. We each have two of those needs above others. So if your need is love, then you need to express how you need to receive love. If your need is significance, you need to tell your partner how you receive significance. So if you're giving those needs, you want to meet them as your partner needs them. They want to be heard. I'll give you a great example of that. 
something that uh, Chloe Madonna shared. A couple were discussing their relationship. Husband had bought his wife roses, and he sent them to her office, waited for her to call. His goal, give her roses. He'd be worthy of love. She'd acknowledge that. Well, she didn't call. He got home. Did you get the flowers? Yes. Well, why didn't you tell me? And she said, you know, I'm not really a flower person. Now, many people would have blown up at that. This is the problem a lot of couples have. This would be where many break down. But he was present. And he was there to give the attention she needs, meet her needs the way she needs them met. So he says, well, what do you like? And so she says a card. Next day, goes to the card shop, sees a great big poster-sized card, thinks it's the biggest one here. I'll get it for her. Leaves that for her. She doesn't acknowledge it. Comes home. Did you get the card? Yes. Well, why didn't you say so? You said you like cards. She said the card was a humor card. I don't like humor cards. What do you like? I like cards with poems. Next day, he bought a card with a romantic poem, left it. Then she was then very, very happy. Again, meeting her needs, hear her, meet his needs the way that he needs them met. Billy Burke, great quote. He says, you get what you fight for, what you contend for, not what you want. A lot of people want things different. It's not what you want, though. It's what you'll fight for, what you contend for. You want a better relationship? Find out what your partner needs the way they need that need met. What you contend for, what you fight for. That's why it's fascinating. People ask Mother Teresa, would you join an anti-war protest? And she always said no. She said, if you have a peace rally, I'll join that. They said, why not an anti-war rally? She said, because I'm not about being against something. Tell me what you're for. And I'll join you. Something that you are for. So what are you for? What's your vision? What's your dream? What goals you have for your relationship? What are you for? Very interesting story from uh, John Asaraf. He's a best-selling author, sold millions of books. Now he speaks around the world. But at one time, he was in a gang. Did all sorts of illegal things, always in trouble. One day, he got a job as a young man at a sauna. And while he was cleaning the sauna businessmen would come in he listened to them finally as he heard them talk he said i could learn from these guys i could get wisdom from these guys and he said i had a realization i could choose my crowd i could choose who i would listen to and so he got out of the gang became a businessman an entrepreneur became very successful but a great principle i chose my crowd something to think about in fact he might sound harsh but he's got a three-minute rule. If somebody's negative for three minutes, that's the end of that relationship. He won't see them again. But the interesting part is, again, who is the crowd that you listen to? Who's the crowd you allow your spouse and your marriage to be influenced by? Paul goes on in Ephesians 5.28, a less-known verse. He says, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. What does he mean by that? Well, go back to Genesis and what Jesus said, when two come together in marriage, a husband and wife, they become one flesh. If you love your body, then you'll love your spouse as your body. You are now one. What do you do for your body? You protect it, nourish it, you take care of it. Things that you would do for your body, Paul says, then do that for your spouse as well. Anthony Robbins says, no man or woman is happy unless they have found a way to contribute beyond themselves. Same needs that you have, your spouse has. They have different ways to meet those needs, but when you think about your own life, what fulfills you contributing beyond yourself? Well, what will fulfill your spouse contributing beyond themselves? What do you do for your own body, for yourself? 
Well, then do that for your spouse as well. How do you help them grow and be safe and be protected and contribute and walk deeper in their faith? Fascinating story with a Catherine Lanigan. She got a writing scholarship. She was in college and her professor at the end of the semester stopped her after class, said, you got an F. She began to cry. I can't get an F as a writing student in writing class. I'll lose my scholarship. She was very frightened. He said, I'll make a deal. You can't write. I don't want you to lose your scholarship. I'll give you a passing grade, but you make a promise to me to stop writing. You're no good at it. She made the deal and he passed her. She focused on another way to graduate a different degree. 17 years passed, 17 years, introjection, what somebody says about you that you say again to yourself for good or bad, 17 years passed. She lived in a small town, film crew, making a movie. She went, other townspeople went, they watched the actors, the filming. She sat by the writers. They told her the actors are over there. She said, I don't want to watch them. I like your conversation about writing. He asked her why she told him her story. He said, 17 years, what does a writing professor from Harvard know about writing? He challenged her, send me a novel. If it's good, I'll pass it along to somebody that can help you. Nine months later, her novel was published. First one, Romancing the Stone, best-selling book, became a movie. She's gone on to write 30 more bestsellers. Again, be careful who the crowd is that you listen to. Be careful who the crowd is that impacts your marriage. Be careful who the crowd is that's influencing your way of thinking. Back to Genesis 29, just two more names. Again, Leah conceived, gave birth to a son. She said, now at last my husband will be attached to me. She named this son Levi. Levi means attached. She wants to be seen. Number one, she wants to be seen. Number two, she wants to be heard and understood. Number three, she wants you to be attached. And he wants the same things, to be the priority in your life, to be number one in your life. That's what she wants. Let me show you a very real example how this can play out for your life. We all know this event plus response equals outcome from psychology class. The event, then your response equals the outcome. Well, here's how you can have a healthy relationship. Think about this and consider, again, the attachment part to be number one in somebody else's life. There was a couple, they came to see Jack Canfield. And here was the challenge. The event was the husband came home and read the paper. The wife's response, she got angry. The outcome was a fight. We all focus on the event too often. We can't control the event traffic jams, bad economy, problems in the world, a phone call that's bad news. That's the event. Our response, though, determines the outcome. Most people focus on the event, what they can't change. What you can change is your response. He explained this to her. The event's your husband reading the paper. You need to change your response. Told her something very interesting. He said, you need to become more interesting than the newspaper. She came up with a plan. She made a game. Next day, she came home, husband sat down, read the newspaper. She walked up, ripped the paper in half, sat in his lap and gave him a hug. They laughed, had a great night together. You can't just do it once though. It's gotta be continued, working. How do I meet their needs the way they need them met? Next night, he came home. Old patterns, hard to break. Sat down again, 
took out the newspaper. This time she walked up and she crumpled up the newspaper, told him a funny story, gave him a hug, and again, brought him out of that state and they had a great night together. The event, you can't control the event. You can control your response, change your response, you change the outcome. And the last one that we see here, Leah conceived again, she gave birth to a son and she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Judah means I will praise. She couldn't change the event. Her husband did not love her and she needed to work on that and use some of the different skills that she could use to change that relationship. One thing she could always do, Judah, I will praise no matter what the circumstance we can always say, I will praise. It doesn't matter if we're talking about relationships, your finances, your health, challenges in the world, whatever the circumstance, the response can be, I will praise. I will praise. And from that standpoint, that foundation, from that core, when you say, you know, Christ is first in my life, from that foundation, the interjections of the past, they fade away. And you realize you are who he says you are. And as you go deeper in him, and praising him, walking in faith. Then from that foundation, you can build on your relationship. You can change the outcome by changing your response. You can hear your spouse, be present, understand them. You can see their needs, meet their needs as they need them met. You can show you're attached, that they're first in your life, and you're going to be careful what crowd your marriage is influenced by. And in all things, you can say, as an individual, as a couple, in faith, I will praise the Lord at all times.